Welcome to the Troy Kearns Podcast, where we talk all things real estate, business, and entrepreneurship. Today, I have a very special guest. I am with Don Salzberg, Elon Salzberg. She has been a major investor in Denver, in Kansas City. Super smart. You've got your Juris Law degree from Columbia University. No, I JD from University of Denver, and then... Um, Undergrad, I went to Columbia. Undergrad, so those are, if anybody knows, those are pretty prestigious schools. It's a pretty prestigious degree. Super smart. In fact, a couple of the people that I ran into in Kansas City, Robert Mayer, um, a lot of other people, you're partners with them. And so when I first met Don, I uh, met through Andrea, who we're actually sitting in her lounge right now doing an interview. So thank you, Andrea. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's hear about your story, where you're from. How'd you get into real estate investing? What are you doing right now? And why do you go by Don? Well, let's let's start with by Don because the other stuff's sort of boring. Okay. Uh, but I don't know about boring, but I mean, it's up to you. And I think the Don part's, you know, visible. Um, it is think, visible. But if they're list, if they're if you're listening, let's talk about p- people who are listening. Oh, people are listening. So people are listening. You hear somewhat of a male voice. Right. Um, kind of low voice. Um, I present in a gender fluid way. So I'll present sometimes very masculine and sometimes very feminine. Um, it's something that dates back from probably five years old or so. Um, really? On some level or another. Okay. Um, but in any, you know, very closeted until um, probably the past six, seven years. Right. Now you're all out. Now in it to win it. I think the first time I met you was at a Halloween party or what, what, what party was that? Uh, Christmas, I think. Christmas party. I think I talked to you before that, but Christmas. We, ta- we talked a we lot. We talked a few times. I think I met you at, uh, at Andrea's Christmas party. That's right. If I remember right. That, and I don't know that you've met him. I think you've talked to him, but I, I think you've only met I've her. only met him. Her. I've never only met her and I've only talked and I've only talked to him. Right. So, so right now, if you're listening, you know, I'm, I'm presenting in, in long hair and a little, little kind of pink skirt, heels, um, not that that makes you one gender or the other, but I have a more feminine presentation. And then other times I bald as a ping pong ball and uh, grow a pretty thick beard. You grow a pretty thick beard. You get yeah. a pr- pretty good, pretty burly, burly beard. I mean, I have a five o'clock shadow right now that I cover up with the makeup as best I can, but um, present them in a more masculine way. And um, I think in terms of how I've addressed the world, that's always been part of me is that I'll, I address the world in kind of both ways. Um, and sometimes that's it's challenging because they're very different approaches to things. Right. And I think the masculine energy can bring a lot, and so can feminine energy. Right. I think, um, it, it, interestingly, in real estate, it's a generally fairly male-dominated field in certain areas. Right. I would um, agree with that. You know, certainly in the construction side, the development side, the the, the decision-making side, it's a very male bank lending decision. For sure. Ba- banker side, um, you see a lot more women in sales, uh, often. And often in more um, forward-facing roles, right. and I think there's there's a loss to that because the more voices at the table, the better the product is, the more collaboration. Right. And so, like, how did this whole journey with the, because me as a typical Anglo-Saxon white male growing up in a household, and this whole pronoun shift has been just happening in probably the last three or four five years if i was gonna guess i think that's right you see like everybody's putting the pronoun on their signature this generation i would say is going that way sure why do you feel comfortable dressing as a woman versus a man i have no idea why i feel comfortable i know that i need it i know that it's my mental health um i think it's something that's been my needed for a long time in different outlets 
Okay. Um, my, my formula is I always say I have to be both if I want to be either. Oh, that's crazy. And, and it's hard, but it's just real because if I'm one, then the other is missing. And if, if I'm the other, then the other is missing. And why, why in this moment, I think, I mean, there's probably different historical trends to me. Um, I think we go through different sort of gendered eras. You know, I, I get into kind of hippie magic. Okay. A lot with stones and the rest, and they sort of say like there's there's a rise of I think Aquarius or something. But I think like there's a masculine energy that can can build a lot of things. There's also a feminine energy that builds a lot of things. And I think we're in a place where we're in a transition. I think between what energy is necessary from a communal standpoint. Can you dive a little bit deeper down there? Sure. I mean, this isn't on the real estate trend, but it, it can be to an extent. No, I, mean, I, I think yeah, we're going to go talk, real estate. To, to go to a real, to, even on a real estate end, you, when you're developing, you're building, you're, you're working on the construction sites. Right. You get that there's a bunch of alpha males. Right, for you sure. You all know what they're doing. You've got your plumber and your electrician and your um, HVAC guy. Right. Like those are the, To me, those three can't get along because... They all trying to shove literally the same pipes through the same holes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true, quite literally. And no matter what architect drew, and the architect, and, and you get, and generally all of them are men, and, and the engineer, and they've all designed something that doesn't work. They've all designed a plenum to go through where the plumbing line goes, where the electrical line goes, and they have to be a certain distance apart. But they all have to go through the same place, right? And none of them are going to admit that the other one is wrong, and and For put sure. it in the wrong place, right? And that alpha male energy, on one level, there's a know-how, bravado, confidence, right. which is important when you're building something because nobody actually knows. Right. On the other hand, nobody's willing to back down and collaborate. If you're going to be have a successful project, you need that collaboration. I think the male energy is often a much more independent energy right? or, or, a, or a chest beating energy. Right. The feminine energy is a much more collaborative energy. And I think like on a construction site, you have this mix of you need that collaboration right. between all these alpha guys with their big trucks right who none of them is going to back down right. but also all of them need the other one because a house built by an electrician won't work right a house built by a plumber won't work and so that would be sort of an alpha side right on the other side you have you know look at a, a sales office they're often much more female right driven um the more successful ones are oftentimes you have these like you know lone wolf sales but when you have a collaborative sales team like Andre has built here, right. everybody's working together, leads come around, you find the right fit, you find the right connection, you find the right person, you have sales meetings where everybody shares and sells and connects. Right. And to me, that's a very feminine energy of this sort of connecting space. And there's also can be the other side of that. There can be questioning, there can be uncertainty, there can be judgment, there can be a lot of things that come with that. I feel like being able to merge those two really gets you to a more productive place where you can <laughs> get that sort of power that comes from I'm going to run that wire through here and I know what a 20 amp breaker is. I have no idea what's in it, but I'm going to do this and I'm going to put it this and this. And you also have that collaborative process of, well, maybe we should run that wire this way. And maybe we should have had three conversations before so I can run my wire the way I want to. I that, like it. I like what you're that, Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. In fact, because I, I, when you're talking like that, I hear my wife, like the way she talks is like, like, Guys talk very linear, right? We always talk like, hey, this is the point A to point B, and this is how we're getting there. And women want to more know what the process is yeah. and how are we going to do this. And so I understand what you're saying. And to an extent, I mean, if this is a little um, overly typical, because obviously there's very there's 100 ways of being a woman, there's 100 ways of being a man. Right. And so I sort of talk it more about masculine and feminine right. as, as more general descriptors. 
Right. Right. And often there are lots of men who are more feminine in their, in their bearing. There are lots of women who are more masculine and everything in between. And I think we're starting to break down and take away those roles, which is why the pronouns are coming in. Yeah. So what is with the pronouns? I, I don't even understand it. I've never even Googled it. You're, I figured you're the best person to ask. <laughs> I, I, I think personally, I think we're in just we're in an interesting moment. I think we went through a very gendered period in the United States. Right. I think dating from sort of 50s on or so forth where you've got women are in heels, men are in suits. And this is a way that we've ordered our world. Right. But it doesn't really work because men come a lot of ways and women come a lot of ways. Right. And all of us come a lot of ways. And so I think we're just coming up with better language to figure out what we're doing. And I, I don't think that the pronouns are going to be around for a long time. I think it's starting of a discussion. I think it's a trend. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's more than a trend. I think it's a cultural shift. Yeah, you know, I, I would think there was. I think there was a time when we had because there was probably there was a time before that. You go, you know, Little House on the Prairie. You're not at quite in the I same like Laura gender. Engel. Sure. And now, now we're in a more we're in a place where we're we're changing conversations where you're not you can be who you want to be. Right. Okay. Um, well, that, and, and you can identify how you want to identify. But can both. you really? Let's take that a step further because for those of you guys who are listening right now, uh, Don is a very, very, very successful real estate developer. In fact, funny enough, after we're done with this conversation, mm -hmm. we're going to be having a conversation about a building because Don is an excellent syndicator, an excellent capital raiser. And you've done, let's talk about, let's take a little bit down the real estate journey. Sure. So what are some of the projects that you've done here in Kansas City? Let's talk about, we'll talk about the one we're a few blocks from. Okay. That's, that's one that I. Wonder uh, Bread? The Wonder Bread. Yes. Um, and that one's been, was a great success and a great failure and, all, and everything in between. Okay. Um, and that one, unfortunately, landed me in the deposition chair. Okay. Um, but it also made it a, a, and, and continues to be a very profitable project and something that really added to the community. And you've got three partners in that deal? Uh, no. No one. One uh, Well, I mean, it, there's so many. One main partner. Yeah, of substance, yeah. And that's? The architect. The architect. Yeah, Caleb, Caleb Buland. Caleb. Yeah. Super Caleb Buland. Ca Caleb. Yeah, Buland. Buland. I, I've met him before. He's a he's rock solid architect. Rock solid. Um, I toured that building actually with Bob Mayer. Saw that you guys actually have the Wonderbed truck on the top of the building. Yes, it is. It was, a, it was like some bread truck that we did up, but yeah. Okay. Well, it looked like, looked like it looks like a Wonder Bread truck. That was actually, that almost blew up the deal. I tried to blow up the deal over a Wonder Bread truck. Um, so, we so were buying the property and there was one of the old Wonder Bread delivery trucks was parked in it. And I said, I'm not closing unless you leave it there. And they said, well, we already promised themselves. Well, I'm not closing. And they said, well, <laughs> so I closed. But, you know. So how much? That, so that was an alpha moment of, uh, of so, showing so off. So that was Elon, not Don, that moment? And, and, and actually that was part of the genesis of feeling comfortable that Dawn could, could live in the world. And, and that there's, so the Wonderbed project, it's a historic, historic building on Troost, 150,000 square foot, give or take, built over- 150,000 square foot? Something like that. It's, it's an apartment building, correct? It's an apartment building, uh, multifamily, multi, mixed use, mixed use. So okay. it's uh, 87 apartments, I think, and about 40,000 feet of commercial. And what did you guys pay for it? Not much. So is not much a number? Can you get more specific? No. Okay. But we, 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 we bought it well. Um, we bought it well. We put a lot of money into the rehab. Up well, there. I know the rehab was tremendous. That's um, why I figured you and, and I think one thing that was, was beautiful and challenging and horrible about it was that Troost is the historic race dividing line. Right. Um, after this meeting, I'm actually going to be sitting down with Chris Good, who's working on renaming 
he wants to rename Troost. Um, really? Which is an interesting concept all of its own. Yeah, that is. Um, something that I love in real estate. I think there's a lot of different things that, that I've added, but I think one thing that has helped me along the way is identifying rising tides of neighborhoods of areas. Right. And so when I have had projects, some are better, some are worse, but consistently I've been ahead of the trend in, in different communities. Like of, in Kansas City would be in an Kansas example City, of that. I've been very much ahead of the trend. Um, and I think one thing that's that feels nice about that is that not being racist has been my one value add. Right. <laughs> and um, that's not a hard thing to be, um, but it is also a very hard thing to be. And so the, the true st- story is very challenging, but at the same time, it's also very uh, hope- hopeful that we can be better than we once were. Yeah, I think that, you know, we all have to evolve as human beings and try to be better and try to help out more. But, you know, you're a product of your environment, as you know, and sometimes we don't we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And, and we and we create the environment. And so that's where Truce was really cool. So the Wonder Bread building we envisioned as a mixed use project where we had a bunch of multifamily but at the same time, uh, that neighborhood didn't exist in a meaningful way. It, and by saying it didn't exist, obviously there are people there. I think about space a lot um, and creating spaces. And I wanted to create, call it a third space, a place that's not where you work, not where you you live, but a place where you meet people right. and have fun. And so in that building, we created um, a coffee shop, pizza shop, and some other common areas that I think have been part of creating this community. And we were also able to locate Chris Good. We bought the property across the street and we were able to put a, a little coffee, a juice shop. Not little, a nice sized juice Is shop. Is that there. Ruby? Ruby Jeans. That's yours? I sold it to Chris, but yeah, it was mine. Okay. And they're actually, for those of you guys who are listening right now, they're actually in Whole Foods. In, um... Chris has got, I don't know how many, half a dozen locations maybe. Oh, wow. Um, I was his kind of a second location. He was located in Westport. And then he, he needed to move from his Westport location. He had some sewer line issues and other things. So he moved from his Westport location over to us as part of his growth process. What brought you out to Kansas City? Tax savings and cheapness. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was it was a combination of the niche of historic tax credit redevelopment, which is a niche that I understand. Can we, t- can we talk a little bit more about that? Because sure. a lot of people don't understand tax credits because, A, they don't have them in their market. Like if you're in Vegas, you're not dealing with historic tax credits. If you're in California, you're not dealing with historic tax credits. If you're in Seattle, you're not dealing with historic tax credits. Not much. Yeah. Be, well, the buildings right the there. Mar- the market doesn't re- require it. They might have it, but the market doesn't require it because the, the demand is so high. Where in Kansas City, there's a lot more of that development. Everything has, is historical. Yeah. I mean, I think that in terms of the podcast and listeners and such, tax um, policy drives a lot of development. Right. And so taxes are going to decide where the next neighborhood's going to be. How we allocate our tax dollars is going to decide where the next project's going to be. And we're moving around so much money in so many different ways with all these different Build Back Better Acts and other things that that policy says what the next hot neighborhood is much more than the next cool restaurant. Right. So, you know, we're too young for it, but, you know, when they built the interstates, then there was suburban development. There was a decision to build highways, and so somebody else did all the horizontal, all the groundwork, so you could just come in and build. Right. right? And so that that era's over. That was the New Deal. That was uh, the Highway Act, like the 1950s. Yeah. And so now we're in a very different time. So now we've got a trillion dollars that was getting thrown around, and it's getting put around in all sorts of different ways. And now it's, I kind of call it the iPodization, because there's so many little niches 
right. of where those tax abatements are going and where those advantages are. I'd like to think I'm really smart. I don't know that I'm all that smart, but right. I, I do think that that little bit of delta can make a lot of, of savings. And so something Kansas City used to do really well was allow for property tax abatements. Right. And that makes a huge difference on these projects. So property tax abatements would be where you petition the city to hold or entirely... You hold the property tax at its current number or, for a period or of time. Or lower. Or does it ever... I've never no, had one. No, it's always... It's at the number at the time of abatement. Got it. So you're going to go to the... T- Sometimes you might do a tax protest. The t- price was... The taxes were too high, but... That you're saying whatever the tax, the appropriate taxes were at that period would Should be held stay. for a period of time. Right. And that could be. And it. so it doesn't cost the city necessarily per se. It's they just don't get the chance to get more money. Right. If that makes some sense. Yeah, they don't people, get it. A lot don't... of people say the city's subsidizing it. It's not exactly subsidizing. It's simply foregoing the opportunity to increase a property tax that they would have otherwise had. And in exchange for that, they are getting all sorts of other revenue. Right. So like sales tax and jobs and all sorts of things so that was your fees and things just and there's a lot of the wonder bread thing is a beautiful example so i don't bring that up we bought it there was one fellow that worked about two three days a week moving equipment around right. roy when we bought it in 150,000 feet right roy nice guy big old mutton chops um working three days a week part-time probably making it was a few years ago making 13 dollars an hour right now in that building we have 40,000 feet of commercial doctors ride kc just did 500 million so we have city officials we have attorneys and we have chefs and we have cooks so we probably have 100 people working in that building every day right making god knows how much millions is going through there we have 87 people living there we have cars we have you know furniture that gets moved you have so much economic activity and vitality is coming out of that space. Right. Where it was Roy. Where it was Roy. <laughs> right. And Roy's and that, a nice guy. And, and That's fine, and, but and, that's and, not going to bring in the tax dollars. Roy's, at 13 Roy, bucks I mean, actually, we actually ended up keeping Roy on. Roy actually worked um, on the job site for us, and he, he went from working three days to working five days, pushing a broom for us. And I think Roy's retired now. But in any event, I mean, that's it. There's a lot of the bigger, the bigger you can grow the pie, the better off we all are. What do you think your best skill set in real estate development is? Because when we were talking the other day, you just gave me it straight like you need to hear it. And I appreciate that. A lot of people would not. I'm in contract to buy a property on 1044 Main Street. And I was talking to Don and you go, you sound like you're all over the place. The bank's not going to like that. You need to get a, a better plan of action because I'm used to having multiple exit strategies. That's how I was talking about things to you. And you're like, no, you need to present things the way that the bank needs to see them. And and I was talking to Denver earlier when we were shooting a little video down there and I was like, I just don't know how to talk to bankers. And I think that's one of the things you're really good at. I appreciate that. So can you break down like how that is and how you do it? And how, you know, it's a lot of structuring the deal, right? I think it's a lot of, and I it may go back to our initial discussion and unfortunately just how I made, which is hard in its own way, but um, <laughs> it's empathizing with the person that you're talking to about what they need to hear because the message you're going to tell the bank is not the same message you're going to tell the drywaller is not the same message you're going to tell your investor is not the same message you're going to tell your kid. If you want to tell your kid, I'm going to buy 1044 main right. and it's a five cap, they're going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Dad. Right. They're, you're going to say, there's that cool building near where we went and saw Lady Gaga. They're going to say, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, right. I love it. Yeah. I love Lady Gaga. Oh, we could park there, right, Dad? Right. Yeah, yeah we could yeah. park there if I buy the building. Right. So that's how you explain it to your kid. You explain it to the drywaller. You say, we're delivering this in six weeks and we're going to need 
you to get in here and we know that you're going to have to have three periods to dry so i need you to come in these days and you get it done by x and you're going to get paid otherwise we're all in trouble and then you present it to your investor and you say i'm going to get this kind of return and here's four exits and so you have to be able to hear what they need to hear and i think something about me is i i, I wear a lot of hats and i literally and figuratively <laughs> And so I think literally I and figuratively and, for sure. And I think it helps me to understand when the, what the bank are sitting at, what their needs are and to empathize with what they're trying to get because the banker needs it in a box. Right. It needs and, to and, and the hard thing about you, and I know you're very creative and I think anybody in real estate has to be very creative. You get very creative about what you're doing, but then you have to put it into a box yeah, that it, is digestible, simple, and, you get all complicated about treasuries and people love to say all these big complicated words and there's like two metrics that a bank's going to care about when it's all set up. cash flow and what else i shouldn't even say two there's one debt coverage ratio yeah oh, is, no it's you know it's it's skin it's going to be debt coverage ratio and ltv or ltc right how much money you got down and then what your de debt coverage ratio is but obviously like the property that you bought the wonder Bread building what kind of cash flow was that producing when you bought it well not but it's it's, it's pro forma um, actually that was a killer deal on every level never mind that that was that was a better deal but you're selling a pro forma right you're selling an idea right. and you need to boil your idea down into the simplest way that it can be presented and you know how complicated it is you right. know that all these assumptions are complicated right you you are taking all of your ideas of i'm gonna have this revenue stream. I'm gonna have a pizza shop and a coffee shop, and I'm also gonna rent a rooftop, and I'm also gonna have apartments. I'm also gonna have Airbnb, and you you boil all that down and you, you distill that into a number, and that number is 1.3, <laughs> right, or, or or higher, or higher, right? right. I mean that, that, that that's the end of the day. Like right. I mean, it's a crazy thing that you have all of these different assumptions that all boil into. It's so it's funny, a very, and it's gets to be a very like cut and dry, and you do all of these things so that you can explain that 1.3 is what it is. So for those of you guys who don't know what a debt coverage ratio is, Don, would you grace them with your sure. <laughs> uh, definition? I was just ranting. We were, I, I had just had a bunch of issues with my properties and I was in a really foul mood earlier. And so Denver and I rolled over to 1044 Main Street. I was like, gosh darn it. You know what? It's all about this damn debt coverage ratio. And if I just knew how to structure the thing the damn right yeah. way that they want to see it, I wouldn't have to have these conversations. Like, I just feel like, you know what? And it's, it's, it's a feeling, right? Like we just talked about feelings. It, my feeling is because I've done all of these great renovations and because I've never defaulted on loans that you should just loan me the damn money and I shouldn't have to present my case, but that's not the case. <laughs> it does not work like that. I, I, I get it. And it's still, yeah. And yeah, you have to figure out how to sell. And, and what's funny about it. And I think we were talking about these different gender. I'm going back to that male and female. There's, there's the one level that it's very like cut and dry 1.3. That is so back up and another level. It doesn't mean a damn thing. Right. Because it's as cut and dry to a banker, but they know that what gets you to that number is so many feelings, so many assumptions, and then it boils down. So what the 1.3 number is, is it's very simply the cash flow of the property, cash flow however, of the property. however you make the money, right? which is your gross income, whatever it is, right. less your expenses, a thousand ways of making money, 10,000 ways of spending money. Right. You take whatever you make, you subtract whatever you spend. Right. That gets you a net operating income. Right, your net operating so income. That number divided by whatever, and this is a little bit tricky here, it's whatever the debt is if it was amortizing. So 
this the loan to get paid off over a period of time. Right. So you take that number. So let's say you make a million on the property. So you're making a million in NOI. And no, a million in in rents. Okay, so you're making a million. You get a million in rents. You have ten tenants paying you a thousand bucks a month. Whatever the numbers come to a simple place. Right. They, you get to a million dollars of income from a bunch of different rents. Right. Then you pay taxes, you pay insurance, you pay property managers, you pay this, you pay that. We're gonna. Sp- this is a bad property. We're spending nine hundred thousand on the property. Right. <laughs> so you have a hundred thousand of income left. We got a hundred thousand. We're gonna spend eight hundred eighty thousand on the eight hundred seventy thousand on property. Eight hundred seventy. You spend eight seventy. So this property is terrible. You shouldn't be spending eighty seven percent of your. Yeah, not a good but, one. But anyway, for some reason it's you got did. potential. Somehow it does. You have one hundred thirty thousand left over. Right. Now you've got to cover the note. Right. And the loan amortizing is going to be $100,000. And okay. I, I just make that distinction. I think it's going to be really important in the coming period. Right. Because we're going to we're going to see with interest rates up that it's going to be interest interest only loans. Right. And you're going to see great debt coverage ratio because it's going to be an interest only debt. Right. However, it won't cover your DCR because it won't amortize. Right. So when you use the amortization schedule, what how many years are you using? 25 years? Th- you you're have, not probably you have to listen. For- you have to listen to the lender. Some lenders are going to say 25. Some lenders are going to say 30. If you get enough, um, it's usually between federal, 20 and 30, and usually 20. between 20 and 30. Right. Yeah, 25 is a good number to use. Right. So you're taking that number. You're saying okay. So and that's the amortization of the debt. So the debt's going to be 100,000 amortized over 25 years. You're making 130. So 130 divided by 100 is 1.3. There's 30,000 of spread. That's what you get to put in your pocket. That's what the bank feels good about. And as long as there's that 30 spread you can do the next year. What what software do you like to do to, or do you just use basic spreadsheets? I just use spreadsheets. Okay. I just use spreadsheets. I've been in different places in, in my career, and I think that's so much. I mean, you need to find the project that fits your person. I am way too hands-on, and so I've learned through the years that I need to do big projects. Right. Because... I think as hard about a little project as I do about a big one. I need to build a bespoke spreadsheet for every single project. And so I can't do small projects. I once did, and I could do great in them, and I know there's great margins in them, and I think they're really wonderful. It doesn't fit me to do 10 small projects. I'd far rather do one large one. And I I don't do good at cookie-cutter projects, personally. There are people that do. You like the challenge. I guess so. If you saw the project that uh, Don did on um, Truce, the Wonder Bread building, which I have had the pleasure of walking they didn't leave any details i paid attention to this property very in detail there's a lot of potential i mean it just has everything it's got a rooftop terrace they spent a lot of money on this property there was nothing left untouched you could tell it had a woman's touch on that property i'd like to think that i think one thing that um i think was pretty successful we were going through the project and it was one of those first moments when i felt like i needed to bring her to work okay and i'm so glad that i did and it was and it was, you know i think one difference in the way men and women walk through the world, and I felt it both, is a feeling of safety. What feels safe? Right. There's a certain safety that comes. I'm presenting masculine. I'm a six foot, pretty fit, fit enough human. Yeah. And I'm not going to get too bothered. But presenting in the world as as a woman, a little more concerned. Right. And I want to feel what my feeling of safety is. I want to know where my purse is. I want to know where my path is for my car. Truce has a historic perception of of risk. Right. I don't know that it's real, but it's perceived. And so I pushed, we did a covered um, structure, parking structure. We took the entire first level that was the manufacturing plant and have 60 covered spots there. And we did that because I was spending time in Kansas City and I was thinking to myself, if I'm in heels, 
if I'm going to my car, I'm going to rent this building. I'll feel safe going from my apartment to my car in a covered environment. And you wouldn't be thinking that if you were alone. I didn't, and I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't know. But I know that that was one of the first times that I can sort of objectively say I let her come to work. And I'm so glad that, and, and since then I've let her come to work a lot more. How does that work with your, like your partnerships and stuff like that? Just because it's uncomfortable for other people, but it might, it's probably even more uncomfortable for you at the, in the beginning stages of things, right? Absolutely. To do something, to know that you're going to get looks, to know that you're going to get people going. Shush, shush, shush. I think you're your own worst enemy. All of us have secrets. All of us have things that we're ashamed of. While at first it was very concerning to me. I think I learned that I was the only person that it mattered to. Right. And over time, it actually became very liberating. Right. And not only liberating, but I think it gives other people, because you know what my secret is. Right. Right. I walk into the room, you know that I'm letting you know something about me. Well, it's not is, so secret. Right. right. But, but you know that I'm letting you know something that's maybe uncomfortable and be different. Right. Right. And so I think it gives you the permission to share your own right um, you disarm people yeah all, all of us have that um insecurities but, absolutely and and if you share those insecurities you can address those insecurities right and certainly in real estate in every deal you come to the deal and you might say this is the thing i'm worried about and and if you can you can let those insecurities out at the front you're so much better off with the entire project everybody's going to be in a better space somebody comes to the table your drywaller comes and says look I really want to do this project, but I can't afford materials and I need you to front that. And if they can say that at the front end versus saying, I got this, I got this. Right. And then you're like, where's the stuff? And like, then you find out that your drywall is an extra two weeks out because they never bought the materials. Right. Right. And we both know that. But if, if you had said at the front, they said, you know, I'm having a hard time right now. I'm like, my wife's going through this thing. And, you know, can you, can you, can you do the, you know, I know usually it's 50% on materials. Can you do hundred percent on materials on this deal? You say, sure, of course. You know, I got you. And, and, and a lot of times I feel like bringing this to the table allows people to say, here's the thing I'm worried about. Or Here, here's a way that I don't measure up. So I have a question and I want to deflect a little, not deflect. I want to go a little bit <clears throat> deeper into your personal life. And I know that from talking to you on the phone prior many times that you have a family. I do. You have children. I do. And you have a wife. I do. And... How does that whole thing play into everything? How, what, how was that conversation with your wife? How is the conversation with your children? Hard. Yeah. Um, and, and not. My wife has known about me and all the me's since before we were married. Right. Where did you guys meet? We met at a, a Jewish singles party. Jewish singles party. So as you know, I'm married to a Jewish woman. And oh, two I Jewish, did know that. That's right. Two Jewish that children. Right. So there was a Shabbat a, Shalom Shabbat, tomorrow. Shabbat Shalom Tomorrow. That's right. Manana. 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 No, it was called the matzah ball. It was a Christmas Eve uh, Jewish singles party. So we, we met there, and it actually took five or six years before we started dating from that. We were friendly for a long time. Okay. I slowly wore her down. Slowly wore her um, down. To, to bring it to a, somewhat of a, of a real estate uh, aspect, there's a property that I've been It was a long escrow. The, well, not even an escrow, a long negotiation period. Right. Um, and I, I told... Um, there's a property I really want to buy um, here that just came to market. Everyone's been emailing me because they got on the paper. Can, can uh, we talk about it? Or is it sure, not? sure. I mean, it's I've been fighting on this one forever. This one will be an interesting uh, pain. I, I'm the only buyer. 
there's own the only one that can buy this property. Which which one is it? Uh, 39th and Main. 39th. So I own I own most of 39th and Main, and there's one piece I don't have. Is that the blue building? No, it's a gorgeous building, um, right at 39th and Main. It's a two-story historic building called the Hyde Park. Okay. Um, it's right on the corner of 39th and Main. It's kind of a deco style, kind of white columns. Uh, the the Church of Scientology. Oh, okay. Owns that building. Nice. No, but <laughs> they do. Well, I don't know. I just figured that was an appropriate word to say. Yeah. Um, so unless you know Tom Cruise, Tom, if you're watching, yeah. um, I want to buy your building. And Tom, if you're watching, give Don a five-star review and subscribe to our channel. Absolutely. Hit like. <laughs> so Church of Scientology has owned that building for a long time. I've been trying to buy it for a long time. I own the building right next door, and I own sort of half their parking lot. Okay. And there's some uh, easements. Um, this goes into the legal side, but there are some prescriptive easements, which means unrecorded easements, right? which allow me to access my building across their property. And so they will never be able to develop that property, do anything on property without my allowance. Without your allowance. And I own half their parking lot. In other words, he's got their feet to the fire. It's hard to have a billion dollar megachurch's feet to the fire. Right. <laughs> so you got as close as you can I'm, get. I, and, and, I, and I, I bring this up relative to the dating is that I've gotten friendly and, and I think it's all about personalities. I think real estate or any business you're doing, you're really, it's about the people. It's not about the numbers or anything else. We talk about 1.3, it's about the people. Right. That are why they believe 1.3. So I sat down with Maggie a few times, she's at the church. And I told Maggie, I said, just so you know, I'm buying this property. I met my wife, and I said, this is the woman I'm going to marry, um, but just not today. Um, and so I said, you know, this was 2016, 2017. I said, I'm going to buy it anyway. It's not a threat, but I will. Yeah, um, I'm here. So I can, you can either sell it to me now, or you can sell it to me in six or seven or, or eight years. And so here we are in 2022, and they haven't sold it to me yet, but I know I'm going to buy it. What are they asking for? Oh, three times appraised value. So appraised value would be one three something. Like I was going to guess that one two one three. It's uh, it's eighteen thousand feet. There's a little bigger than that, but it's been it's so left out in the rain. It's just a disaster of a building. There's no no meaningful roof. There's some kind of there's some tenants that are all month to month. That uh, there's been no investment in that building. I mean, we call it landlord for a reason. There's like kind of this lordship, this aristocracy, but. It comes with an obligation you have to your community. You own property. You need to be invested in it. You need to take care of it. It's not trading cards that you leave in the base, you know, leave in grandma's attic and hope they go up in value. Right. You need to take care of your land. They haven't. Right. And so we're stuck with this deteriorating asset that is a jewel of Kansas City. Right. That I am so excited for the opportunity to take care of. They just have to come to something approaching reality. Right. And... Nobody else is going to buy it. So I, I will buy it. So, and that, that you're talking about the personal. So yeah, let's go back to the personal. So like with, 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 with your wife and, you know, obviously you guys have been married for how many years? 15, 14 or 15. Four, uh, we married in you 2008. Right. No, no, I have it. Um, I think we just had our 15th anniversary. Once you get to higher numbers, it's, yeah, it gets I'm, lost. I'm with you. Yeah. I 22 minus, we got married in 2007. So 22 minus 2007, 15. When you... I don't know if it's, is it can come out of the closet? Is that sure? The, okay. I mean, yeah, that goes a whole different, but yeah, I mean, there's sexuality and there's gender presentation. There's all sorts of different things and, okay. and coming out. Is, yeah. I, I, yeah. Who knows? All sorts of language stuff. This isn't a podcast about that. Yeah. No, I'm just curious about in terms of, 
like that conversation and, and like when you're with your family are you dressing as don or elon generally elon okay but sometimes Don. sometimes and yeah. what would that sometimes be if you're yeah it's dinner, usually or? yeah it can be just different different opportunities different timings that, that make sense for whatever reason okay um kind of comes and goes and there's logistics too there's, there's some work involved and time involved and, right for sure um, so it, it really comes and goes and we've found different pathways. The kids are all right. I think that the wonderful story of, of our future, I feel really good about if we hand off a decent something, Denver and, and folks in his generation will do a great job with it. I think, you know, our parents didn't really hand us a clean ball right? <laughs> um, to work with. Right. So we, we've, we've worked with what we've got and we're about the same age. Right. So it wasn't, wasn't the best uh, handoff of all time. Right. And they're also still not handing it off right if you look at the coming presidential elections and all the rest you've got 80 year olds that are still around and god bless them but you know it's kind of our turn yeah <laughs> um you may not make it oh but it, it, they'll be your 80 i mean and you got you know warren buffett's 92 is a genius i love reading warren buffett right for sure and i think one thing it's free ranging but one thing he's done really well is he has a series of folks under him Right, um, but it, you know he's not ready to shuffle off the stage. But you know that 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 leaves doesn't leave much air in the room. Anyway, all that said, I feel like the kids are great. They get how do they get a world? They're they have no issue on pronouns. There's never been a question on the kids on pronouns. Kids get it. They don't care. Your pronoun right. is whatever you ask it to be. Right. Right. That's the end of the day. The, the the good one is like Puff Daddy. Right. His name is P Diddy or Puff Daddy or Diddy or just. Or whatever, right, whatever it is, is this week, and you know what you call him? Whatever the hell he damn well asks. Right. That's what you call him. Like it's that simple. Right. It's not a hard. It's not a hard thing. Is your pronoun? If you want your pronoun to be Guga, just tell me, and I'll call you Guga, because that's totally fair. Good with Troy. Troy, whatever. But it's up to you. And if, if if you say this is what I want, then it's just respectful. Right. And it and it's easy to be respectful. Right. And it's hard to be respectful. But I mean, yeah. Sometimes we don't know if we're being disrespectful or respectful. But you are. You do know. Right. You do know. People say they don't know, but they know. Because I don't know. I, I, I'm going to take a little, I'm going to disagree. My wife used to say to know me is to love me because I didn't realize how much I thought being transparent was the best way to be. And it's not in business, you know, and in person and, and, and in friendships, I would always be like, hey, I'm going to say what's on my mind, but that's not always the best way to make friends and the best way to build relationships and, and the best way it's, it's it can be abrasive. Yeah. It's trust me. That comes to communication style and sometimes it's hard to hear. Right. When, yeah. And I, I think that comes to yeah, finding ways of communicating in a way that people can hear you. Right. And so if you come into the room like a bull in a China shop, I mean, that goes to, you know, negotiating a sale. You, you're, you're cold calling like church of Scientology. Right. Um, I think I burned some bridges early on because I feel they felt like I wasn't respecting their religion. Right. Well, they're kind of right. But, but what, what did you do that, that got them to feel that way? I think I was kind of a bull in a china shop. Right. I think I was like, that was a lawn. Uh, probably. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, um, I think, yeah, I think that might've been part of it. Um, I got really fascinated by them actually. Um, I actually went and did the personality test down there because I was like, you know, what is this? Like, right. Why is everybody drinking the Kool-Aid? Right. And, and I learned a little bit about myself from it. And, and I'm not, I don't process the way they kind of expect people to process. Right. Um, 
and they have certain patterns and such. And so I think they thought maybe I was playing like jokes with them or something. Oh, okay. They thought that you're seriously. just in there. You're just doing your investigative, your due diligence ahead of time. But it, but I'm, I was I was actually truly fascinated. But it was also like, you know, I think there's something threatening. Like I'm gonna just buy your thing. I think at the end of the day, you know, it's if that that was one. As much as you talk about numbers, they're very. There's some sellers that are motivated by things other than a number. Right. Most, a, a lot of sellers, we talk about that all the time, is like, if you're just talking about money, you're probably not going to get the deal. If you're like, talking about money, then you just have to come up with the highest number. And that's not a good business model. That's not a good business model. 100% agree. It, that's really hard. If you're talking about time, if you're talking about delivery, you're talking about those other things, you have a better chance. And so the Scientology, unfortunately, is a space where they simply want, and they've, they've been very clear, they want a 30-day cash closing for the highest number they can think of. Right. And so that's just not a viable choice for the product that they are selling. Right. So they just need to get a reality woken up and see that. And most sellers have some driving force driving them to sell. The church has no property taxes, which is a problem. Right. They should. They have billion dollars of endowment and they they see with streetcar and all the rest that the property value will continue to rise so absent outside pressure they won't do what they need to do and the issue is they have easements across their property right they can't make sense of it they are not taking care of their property and that's a situation where there needs to be public pressure applied because there's an obligation of landowners to take care of property right and we can bitch and moan about the city all and we should Right, because the city can't do a lot better. But without the city, we can't have our jobs. We need we need the roads done, maintenance, and we need all these city permits. And- so, what advice would you give to somebody who is listening right now, who is a young person who is trying to get started in real estate? And I, I and I guess this is a question I probably should ask you too. Prior to that, is how did you get your start? I had a great time yesterday. A friend of a friend came up to me, young 23-year-old kid, awesome mullet. Uh, and he's just, he's been a broker for a year. And he came and said, hey, I want to start in real estate. So I actually just got to have that conversation yesterday. We had a drink over the Canary. And that's why I said the kids are okay. Because, I mean, 23-year-old kid going and asking and saying, what, what should I do? And sitting and talking to him, he's kind of actually sounded like you on Main Street where he's got 100 ideas. And he's, right. He's going a mile a minute. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? What are you good at? Where where, where do your passions lie? Andrea is awesome. If Andrea was did, and she did do property management, and she sure she was great at property management, but that's not where she wants to be. Right. And so it sucks her time and energy and takes it away. I got my start, um, got my real estate license, and sold residential properties. I cold called at Watts Realty in downtown Denver. So and as an agent? As an agent. I was, I don't know, it was two, 2000, I think. I think it was 2000. I, was buy, I bought my own house. I had a nice down payment. My dad helped a little bit. Um, I'm selling pumpkins, actually. That's a whole other story. But in any event, when I was, I was buying that house, I wanted to do my own, but you know, I had a broker do it. I said, well, this is easy money, good money. I'm, broker I was, I was doing some winter work I had some summer work and I'd cold call and you know we had these old lists you know phone number lists and you call and I hated it I was terrible 
I'd telemarket to these folks and I could care less about their problems and I didn't want to be figured out their spouse that they're getting divorced they're getting married they want a new house I, I just didn't care right and, and there are people that care right and should I just didn't right and I was not good at it um, but I sold a few houses along the way and I started seeing investment opportunities and I, and I liked those and I, those I could put together and I was like oh we can build this or that and where did that come getting, from did, did your parents invest? Uh, no, my great uncle was a developer. Okay. Uh, kind of skipped, skipped a generation. My great uncle and my grandma, my mom's dad. My mom's, there's family um, folks that have been involved okay. for a long time. Um, there was kind of a mentor from uh, kind of Sunday school kind of thing. And so I kind of started putting it together and a couple of deals that were, were good ground up projects. And I just, I connected with those folks a lot better on, hey, let's do this. Right. And so we did a bunch of um, townhome um, properties for sale. Right. And I was just much better at that. So you found your, um, you found your zone. And then uh, along the line, somehow I ended up representing. It was actually just, it was a fun, weird mistake because the world does that. Right. Um, my dad and I shared an office and they faxed the wrong person from Greenpoint Mortgage. was a uh, I foreclosure that. lender. They had a bunch of, they had a bad lender. Yeah, I but, remember that. Uh, I sold for them. They faxed the wrong person. I got the number, and Jim Giambalvo and I, he was their um, REO guy. Right. And so I ended up selling. Lost mid. I sent all. I sold all their REOs in Denver for a couple of years. We have the same background. There you go. I sold 2,200 REO properties in Las Vegas from 2008 to 2012. That's more than I sold. Were you Were you on like the whole Dallas journey, going to the DS News no, things? No, 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 no. I just uh, they were Greenpoint would call me, say there's these properties for sale, and I said fine, I sold them. Do you know the interesting thing about that is that most people who are listening right now may not know this, but Denver, Dallas, Philadelphia, and Newport Beach are where all of the companies or majority of the companies who sell foreclosures are based out of. I took I so that. many trips to Denver because Fidelity was based out of there. Uh, IAS, if you remember that. That was, I think, that was at that time because they had a different, they, they've changed the way the foreclosure rules work in Colorado, but it used to be that you foreclosures were good process right um, but it was but integrated asset services was out there there was uh fidelity was a huge one out there that i went to all familiar. these com conferences that name's familiar for in sure. denver yeah. that's i mean because my life from 2008 to 2012 was literally going to dallas was going to irvine was going to philadelphia and that's where all and then all of the foreclosure companies were based and a majority of them was denver and dallas i didn't i didn't know that Dallas, Fan Dallas, I saw some. Fannie Mae was obviously Dallas. Freddie Mac was Dallas. That's interesting. G Mac, yeah. if you remember them, no. was Dallas. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's not going to be the same. The foreclosure world in the next few years is going to look a lot different. Do you think our market's about ready to head towards a major crash? No. Really? Yeah. Why not? History doesn't repeat, it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It means that there are, there'll be commonalities between the different different moments. We're both too young to know, but the, the idea of the interest rate spike is, from everything I've read and looked at, is much more in common with the 70s than it Paul would be Volker. an inflationary thing. So inflation is a lot different of a beast. What happened in the in 08 to 12 was a lot of leverage. Right, over leveraged and, guys with five, six houses. There aren't, the leverage doesn't exist right now, not on a widespread residential standpoint that leverage exists in 
larger commercial deals right where people have press and press over press a lot of those folks can afford to lose and can extend and pretend extend they don't extend, extend and pretend that's right. the you know the loan they you give they it. just they just they just say well i was supposed to get an eight percent pref and instead i get a negative one percent pref and whatever you told and me i did the kansas that. city slide the other day you got all yeah. these <laughs> acronyms it's like yeah. get into the deal and figure it out is yeah. that, is that well, the kansas city slide the kansas city slide is when you set a closing and you just pretend like who knows when you're going to close the kansas city slides we're going to close in 30 days or three years it's all the same and you just pretend I agree. it's 30 days and you're like we're gonna get in we're gonna close in 30 days and then you do the cancel it's like a week before closing you haven't heard a word it's a day before closing oh well i gotta move this a week i'm like okay fine. and then a week passes we're gonna move it another week okay, fine. and like you know there's at least my experience it's a unique to this market that everyone lets you get away with it Right. It is very unique. It, it seems like it's the Midwest niceness, not the Kansas City slide. It seems like people out here. I think it's that that we're just not at a, there just isn't that buyer right behind you. Right. I think as the market slows, you'll see that in other places. Right. So Kansas City, Kansas City, for better or worse, hasn't spiked. And I don't think it will. So you, you're active in Denver and you're active um, with all sorts of real estate. Development. How many properties do you own? Uh, or have under management and partnerships and developments. You're not sure. You're not sure. Not so that's 100%. a hundred percent. That's um, a good number. Yeah. That's if you talk about family yeah. um, and Judaism, we were having children. I didn't know what, um, whether the children have penises or not. So I didn't know if I needed to do a circumcision, but I went and interviewed. There's a Moel that comes and does the circumcision. Yeah. It was at my son's. Yeah. And so I went to interview a couple before. Right. And I went and saw this one fellow and wanted to go through. And see Did you bury yours in the backyard too? I uh, no. Um, <laughs> But I asked him, and I remember asking him, I said, you know, how many, how many circumcisions have you done? He said, well, about five. I'm like, well, that's not a good answer. You can't say about five. If you've done circumcisions and it's a single-digit number, you need to know exactly how many circumcisions you have done. Um, right? Like, yeah. You want a person who is, you know, if you've done a 1,000, I get it. Yeah. Um, so maybe 20 properties of some kind. Um, but they're all major ones. I mean, everywhere from... I have a couple of small ones, but most most properties are 30 to 100 uh, units um, in residential or on the commercial side, 20,000 feet and up. Right. Um, or then there's a couple of some land holds that are, you know, 15,000 foot land holds or something like that. Cool. So there's always somebody bigger and there's always somebody smaller. Right. Um, yeah, I, I try to, ideally, I try to keep deal sizes five million to 15 kind of deal size right five to ten is nice i have like one project now that's sucking me that's a, a, a it's a wonderful that was a biscuit shop that's gonna be exciting it's like eight hundred thousand. it's just too small but it's a great project right um but that's kind of the, the you're investing in st size. joe missouri as well right i have one property thank you troy for the best property manager i don't even remember around. who i recommended who was oh, it? that was a wonderful story that's why i say it's all about the people uh nancy lee Okay, I might have to call her back. Uh, she's dead. <laughs> well, I guess I won't be calling her <laughs> no, anytime soon. But uh, her, she uh, lives, an, lives an amazing legacy. Uh, I, I appreciate that you introduced me to her when you did. Yes. Um, because she was still with us. Um, and she hopped right to. We did um, property tour. And she knew that she was sick, but she didn't 
kind of share that she had breast cancer. Um, she had set up her property managers, Aaron Shackelford and Amanda uh, Holcomb, who took over, who had been running her business. And what I, I respect on so many levels is that she set up such a wonderful structure right. that without a beat, and she wanted it, it, her own legacy is this property management. And she actually saw my property as something that was a way to stabilize her, her group. And so it was pretty neat. Um, that That's a pretty big property down there too, isn't it? It's 40 units. I mean, it's a good size. Um, for St. For St. Joe, I, I say I have, the, I have the nicest property in St. Joe. St. Joe is fun to make fun of. Yeah, it um, is, for sure. Yeah, but it, it, they've stabilized it. Um, you need property management in St. Joe, Missouri. Aaron and Amanda are absolutely phenomenal. Do you have social media? How do people who are interested in your story keep, continue to follow you? They talk to you. Yeah, they, they call you. I, okay. I, uh, follow me if you guys want to hear yeah. about Don's story. Yeah, I do have some social, but it's not. It, I don't do much real estate in there. I think when I grow up, I really want to want to write and, uh, and 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 share in that way. Cool. Any final words that you want to leave our listening audience with? Any words of encouragement? I think bringing your whole self to work. Okay. Bring 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 all the things that you have. Bring all your baggage. Everyone you know is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And when you when you show up into the deal, bringing, you know, everything, um, everyone's better off for it. Bring your bad idea. You know, bring your shame. Work through it. Process it. Be honest with it. But that will get you to a place where you can say, here's how we did it right. Here's how we thought did it thoughtfully. Right. And, and built something that you can be proud of because real estate will last decades. Has real estate changed your life? I mean, everything has. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, like in terms of like as becoming from an agent to somebody who probably doesn't have to work unless they wanted to. That's a good question. I'll process on that. Okay. Well, Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Make sure you guys give us a five-star review. For people who are struggling with identity crisis, what would you say to them? The same. Bring your whole self. There's nothing. Yeah, everyone you know is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And so if you're somebody that has different gender questions, if you're somebody that, you know, and who knows? I mean, there's so many different traumas that you have in your, in your life. The person across the table from you has plenty that, that they're worried about too. Right. You break into that and you say, hey, you know, we're both here to, to solve something and you'll do great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. If everybody um, would give, be so kind as to give us a five-star review, share this video with a friend, and Dawn will grace us with her presence again. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you in the next one. Peace. Peace.